All right, we are back. It's the Lefty Specialist. I'm John. I'm James. And we are here for our third annual Leftist NCAA Tournament Preview. Uh, James, it's been a while since we've had a, two, a, a pod, just the two of us. Yeah, it's good to be back, baby. Yeah, and of course we couldn't miss uh, our, our flagship podcast, our you know, Rizonda Etra is going through the the bracket and and figuring out who who the left and who socialists should be rooting for in all these brackets. We've done this twice before. Way it works, pretty self explanatory. We're gonna go through each uh each region. We're gonna go like quadrant and we're gonna tell you which of the f- out of the four um the socialist left should be rooting for to make it to the sweet 16 going to kind of maybe have some debates. Usually we tend to agree, right, James? We, we, you know, Most we of the to... time, but there's usually some disagreements. Yeah. Um, and I think, so we should warn you that this year, James and I probably watched the least college basketball of any of the years we've done this. And even beyond that, just like generally, it's like the partially because Duke was bad for such a stretch this year and just naturally like just being busier. You know, I yeah, watched... Michigan was bad. I was busy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be even more vibes based than normal in terms of uh, what 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 to expect. Uh, but it's Selection Sunday, and I I do just want to say quickly that it sucks that the Oscars are the same night as Selection Sunday. College basketball should have its own night to kind of celebrate and get the spotlight. Yeah, what's up with that? I, that's never happened. That's not normal, right? I was trying to think if this was like a normal like coincidence that they do they have pushed the oscars into march but like it's never conflicted with the selection show as far as i can remember no and i hate it (laughs) it's also bad for the women's bracket because they do it after now like they stopped doing selection monday which i believe they did for a while and like they're announcing the bracket now and are they you know shortly after the the men's bracket came out and people can't watch because they're watching the oscars so that's, you know, it's not good. All right. Well, should we get into it? I, I will say I feel like um, I, I, I said this last year, too, but uh, I feel like this will be a somewhat chalky year. Um, yeah, I think I mean, we'll we'll get into it as we go through. But it it's an interesting year because there's a clear top tier. That's like, like I don't think there's an obvious. I mean, there is obviously number one overall seed that we're about to get to, but there's not a clear front runner like there is some years, but there's a clear top four or five teams that I think has just been consistently in the mix all season. And, you know, then there's a big kind of drop off. And it's probably, I would say, you know, three of the final four teams will probably come from this batch of five that we can get to. But, but yeah, so let's jump into it, right, James? Yeah. So I insisted on starting with this pod uh, as uh, Greg Gumble and our leaders on the CBS college basketball uh, studio crew did. So in the in the South region, uh, number one overall seed, Alabama, they will play the winner of Texas A&M Corpus Christi and Southeast Missouri State. And then the 8-9 matchup there is Maryland and West Virginia. There is a clear top story among these teams that I think has gotten some attention uh, beyond the world of college basketball as well. Yeah, so much attention that Greg Gumbel felt the need to mention it like right in the first minute of the selection show. Um, 
Which... Yeah, he he announced Alabama number one overall, and then said they that they sidestepped some criminal allegations, which was strange. <laughs> yeah, so to for for the uninitiated, the unfamiliar, so uh, there was like a, a a tragic event that happened where uh, a woman was killed in Alabama uh, in January of this year, and the investigation has implicated two members of the team the basketball team, one uh, Darius Miles, uh, who was apparently not related to the other Darius Miles, the former Clipper and Scarlett Johansson co-star in that movie about the SATs. He uh, was a reserve who was injured for most of the year on Alabama, and he was involved in uh, this shooting, as well as Brandon Miller, who's been a more prominent player. He, I believe, was a five-star recruit and is um, crucial to the Alabama team this year yeah it was MVP of the SEC tournament yeah and the the decision to let Miller continue playing even though he was implicated we should be clear neither of them is the shooter and it's unclear to what degree either of them has yeah so I think if if we're to accept all the reporting that's come out about this it was Darius Miles's gun uh, and there was a third guy who was who is the alleged shooter. So Brandon Miller received a text that night from Darius Miles that was like, "Hey, can you bring me my gun?" <laughs> like, <laughs> I think there was like a, 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 I think he called it his joint or something. And then Brandon Miller then like drove it to Darius Miles, and then this third person shot it. So uh, Darius Miles is being charged as being involved in the murder but brandon miller is just considered a witness so darius miles was kicked off the team brandon miller has been suspended for no time i mean i have questions like you know big and small like first of all is it illegal to drive someone a gun (laughs) well i think this is like one of those things and i I, not to make this a, a whole episode about criminal the criminal justice system but it does tie into a lot of one of you know a lot of our themes which is that by our themes, I mean sort of the lefty specialists in general or the undrafted substack where you've written a lot. I've written a lot about this where gun ownership is obviously legal in the United States. It's a controversial topic, but we have a lot of gun deaths and a lot of gun owners and a lot of gun use. And who gets prosecuted when a gun is used to kill somebody is a matter of seems to vary. And I think, yeah, in this case, like Miller brought Darius Miles Darius Miles's weapon is that a crime is he is he did he do anything wrong if the gun was later that night used by somebody not named Darius Miles to kill someone I mean it's a tragic situation but the idea that Miller should be kicked off the team um or be suspended for any amount of time is looming over a lot of this and that's why Gumbel had his little they sidestep this criminal thing um you know I don't know what like that i don't know if that is the right answer yeah i mean the whole thing is just very strange because it seems like nobody really knows what to do with this situation and like college basketball commentators and sports people have sort of been vaguely critical of alabama's response to the incident but nobody says exactly what they what right. they would do or what yeah. punishment would befit the crime and it seems like they're just mad that alabama isn't sufficiently like contrite which I find uncomfortable and weird. But I think ultimately um, people are kind of suggesting that this is like 
the big story of the tournament going into to its first weekend and, and going into the thing. So I think probably what we want um, is we want Alabama to do well enough so that it, this doesn't seem like a moral judgment against them, but not, we don't want them to win the tournament or go far enough that this like drags down any kind of fun or enjoyment of the tournament uh, into like the final four and the uh, championship. So hopefully they just bow out in the sweet 16 or elite eight. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Cause yeah, you don't want it to seem like this was like weighing them down. And this is like the problem with the, the team. Cause I think then you get into like, you know, racially stigmatizing players who like have or were involved in guns or whatever, or, or gun violence. But you also, if this were a final, I mean, a, a woman did die. I mean, you know, you don't want this like to be a story people are bringing up during the final four. Um, and it is a really tragic situation. It is unfortunate that so many, you know, people die from gun violence in this country. But I don't think, you know, I, I think in general, the lefty specialists are re- realizing like criminalizing this behavior is not going to solve the problem. What you have to do is reduce the number of guns or, or um, you know, find nonviolent solutions to to conflicts that are not, you know, readily available to people. But, you know, kicking somebody off a basketball team is not going to do it. And I think people just have this this vibe sense that like it's unseemly if they if this team does well because someone died. And I, I get it, but that's just not not how to not a it's not a rational response. Um, any other thoughts on this before we, you know, do you have any other thoughts on these teams or, or Alabama? Not really. Uh, Maryland and West Virginia is the 8-9 game. I think that will be a fun game. Um, Kevin Willard is like has, has sort of made Maryland a little more fun than they've been the last decade or so this year. And uh, we've spoken in previous iterations of this podcast about how much we love Bob Huggins. So, yeah, I mean, um, that, that will be a fun first-round game. But I guess yeah, a lot can... of good eight nine games seemingly. I mean, I guess eight nine is always a good good matchup. But uh, Maryland West Virginia should be interesting. And I mean, I I would be happy if West Virginia made the Sweet Sixteen because I think Bob Huggins is really plugging along as one of these old timer coaches. While the rest of them, I mean, this will be a recurring theme of this episode is the number of uh, old school coaches who are have fallen by the wayside. And, and Bob Huggins still standing, you know, still making it work. So next. The five twelve is San Diego State and Charleston, and uh, the four thirteen is Virginia versus Furman. Uh, immediately upon seeing these matchups, uh, Seth Davis said that he thought Charleston would uh, was shoo in for the Sweet Sixteen. So, yeah, can we talk a little bit about Seth Davis's urge to like immediately make upset predictions like seconds after the matchups have been announced? Like what's up he with that? He does this every year and every year the one that he immediately says doesn't happen. So, don't pick Charleston is my <laughs> Yeah, and it's like why are you doing this? Like this is not your job. Like it's like, you know, you're like a you're like an analyst on TV. You're supposed to be like previewing these matchups for you're not like somebody's like drunk friend at a bar who's like, let me tell you how I'm going to fill out my bracket. Like on two set, you know, two seconds after it happens, like let people process it. Like, I think the other thing that bothers me about it is this is how everybody's finding out about the bracket. So like everybody immediately, the first thing they hear is, Oh, college of Charleston, they're going to win, which is like, all right, well, you've just sort of given that one away and you haven't given it any kind of chance to like percolate among the ether. So it really bothers me. 
Um, as far as the leftist pick in this, here's my here's my theory that I'm going to throw out there. So these are all like like Virginia, Furman, College of Charleston. They're all like located in this like mid Atlantic region, and I believe these games are being played in. Where are they being played? Are they Orlando, are they which Orlando. is weird. San Diego State is the five, and they have to fly all right. Well, so that was what I was going to say. San Diego State is, I guess, Virginia is the four, so they are higher than San Diego State. But San Diego State is one of the higher seeded teams in this bracket, and they have to fly all the way across the country from San Diego to Orlando. So I feel like the leftist pick is them because they, you know, put in the most travel time. They got to get compensation for their 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 travel schedule. So I feel like that's what you got to root for. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it like we can't root for Virginia just because like it's just, just for the the eyes of the children. Nobody can watch. <laughs> children are watching Tony Bennett. Put some excitement into it. Yeah, I mean, Virginia scored I, seventeen points in the first half of the ACC championship. They made it to the championship. Scored seventeen points and a half. Come on, like. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I shout out to Pat Kelsey, uh, the coach at Charleston. I mean, I also think like Charleston, like San Diego State got screwed with the location of the game. But Charleston, like they only lost three games this year. It's kind of tough draw as a 12 seed. I feel like they should be a little bit higher than that. Um, but, you know, uh, Pat Kelsey has built up their program and came from Winthrop. So, uh, you know, maybe he'll end up at like Georgia Tech or one of these like bottom tier ACC jobs and build something up. Something. Yeah, like I guess Georgia that. Tech just got rid of a uh, Passner, so they've got a got a vacancy there. All right, should we go to the next uh, next quadrant? Yeah, sure. All right, we so... got Creighton as the six C playing NC State the eleven, uh, and then Baylor as the three seed against UC Santa Barbara the fourteen seed. Uh, this one I had trouble with. What was, what, where'd you go here? Um, so it's interesting. I was thinking about Greg McDermott and Mark Adams and how they kind of compare. So Greg McDermott is the head coach of Creighton. And a couple of years ago, Creighton was kind of like floundering. This is 2021. They were kind of floundering right before the tournament. And apparently at a team meeting, Greg McDermott told a black player, uh, to like not to stray from the reservation. Uh, Didn't he say plantation? Is, oh yeah, yeah. I think that's right. Um, yeah. He yeah. Some and uh, he kind of got into trouble for that. He got suspended, I believe. And it was kind of this awkward thing that surrounded the team. Um, Mark Adams was the coach of Texas Tech, who just got fired and just got like a four million dollar buyout from Texas Tech um for making a racially insensitive comment to a player in a similar situation where Texas Tech was struggling um but a a similar kind of reference to slavery um Mark Adams is like an asshole and seems to have a longer track record like last year he didn't let Terrence Shannon Jr stay to take on like summer term credits to help him transfer to his preferred school, the University of Michigan. Um, so instead he was like limited in where he could go because of like different schools transfer rules. Um, and Mark Adams is just like an older guy and seems more curmudgeonly and maybe, you know, it seemed like he was already alienating the roster. But uh, Greg McDermott just kind of rode that out and, uh, you know, moved on. And 
I mean, I think we should like be heartened by that. I think we, you know, like um, we should think that like uh, these kinds of things are not the the kind of summative condemnations that maybe we sometimes have the impulse to make them. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I like Creighton. I think they uh, like Ken Palm likes them a lot. So uh, I think that they might actually be pre- pretty good and might be primed to make a run. Um, that's that's kind of who I like in this quadrant uh, from our perspective. Also, I mean, if NC State does well and maybe makes like a Sweet 16 push, Kevin Keats is probably going to get a lot of money from somebody. So either NC State or another program, because a lot of programs are hiring right now. Um, yeah, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, when in doubt, I picked the public school, which is NC State. Uh, I guess UC Santa Barbara is also a public school, but they're not really likely to make it. And we can't, that was another fucking Seth Davis pick. So yeah, can't. so we can't do that. So uh, I think NC State's a weird one because, like, you know, I'm trying to look at their their season, and they didn't like I, for a second. I was like, 11, 11 seems a low seed for them. Like maybe they deserved higher, but they really had a a pretty mediocre year. Like they had some, they didn't really beat anybody, and they they uh, they had some some tough losses. Uh, they got blown out by Clemson like three times. Um, and so, so you know, I don't know what to make of them. And Kevin Keats, as you said, is like a, he's an interesting coach. Like, I think it's a really hard job to be an NC State coach because you're overshadowed by Duke and UNC. You're, you don't have like the first like kind of crack at the recruits in your area because all of them are going to be at one of these other ACC schools. Um so I don't know what to make of NC State. I always like it when they're good, and so I, I'm pulling for them. But I'm I'm open to suggestions. I think I think your 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 Greg McDermott thing for Creighton was was somewhat persuasive. I think scandals like that are interesting. I mean, part of this is reflective of because I just you know in case anyone hasn't listened yet, last week's episode I did a solo episode on the Dan Snyder stuff, and I was thinking a little bit about like insensitive comments or investigations into stuff like that, and it is like. You know, when you hear something like a, a coach told a player, like, don't stray from the plantation, or I think, you know, Mark Adams said to a player where he like quoted a Bible verse that was like, a slave should obey his master or something like that. And, you know, when you take it out of context, it's hard to know if like, is that indicative of this person's personality? Or did they just like thoughtlessly, you know, like he was like reading the Bible, you know, like maybe it's, you know, and I think that's one of those things where you want to give people the benefit of the doubt, but you're not there. And I think a lot of times what you see is like, look, yeah, this is, this was over the line. And it's also indicative of like behavior. Like you said, the thing about Mark Adams, like he seems like kind of a shitty guy to his players. And like, maybe this was just one too many things. Whereas like if McDermott, like maybe he said a shitty thing and realized like, Oh, maybe I got to dial it back. Like maybe I got to, maybe that's not representative of his personality. Um, And so we're, yeah, we're a believer in second chances here. So, so I, I support that. All right, the last, so rounding out this region, we've got uh, Missouri is the seven seed against Utah State, the 10, and then Arizona, number two, against Princeton, uh, the 15 seed. So right away, we can just toss Princeton out. Like, obviously, it's not the leftist pick through for fucking Princeton. What do you think among the other three? Yeah, well, so I, I mean, I, I'm sort of curious about this, this Arizona situation for, like, Arizona and UCLA are both among the teams I think could win the national title this year. And uh, Arizona has a claim as like the premier 
West Coast program at this point. I mean, like, or or maybe share that title with UCLA. Um, but uh, Tommy Lloyd was like, you know, he was just like the assistant at Gonzaga and then kind of like quickly, uh, you know, surpassed where like Sean Miller had gotten Arizona. Um, and uh, yeah, like they kind of play like a fun up-tempo athletic style, which is, which is cool. So uh, they're fun to watch and like they uh, play good games. And so I hope that they uh, make it far because I like watching them. Uh, seven and 10. I mean, there you have Missouri and Utah State. So Utah State is coached by Ryan Odom. We talked about him in our March story series last year when we did the episode about the um, Virginia's loss to UMBC. UMBC. Yeah, yeah. I forgot the acronym for yeah, a second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Odom was the coach at uh, University of Maryland, Baltimore County for like eight years, including their upset of Virginia in 2018, right? That was when that was. Uh, and he left for Utah State last, is this his first year there or second year? I think at least second, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then you have Missouri. I think Missouri is always a weird uh, school. They've had like so many identities, I feel like, over the years. Like, you know, like they had like Mike Anderson coaching them a million years ago and Frank Haith and guys like that. Um yeah. and then in recent years they've dealt with this fallout from the protests that the football team has had uh, you know, made back in twenty oof, when was that? It was twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen, that school year. Yeah, the football team like threatened not to play, um, because they were protesting for uh, racial justice on campus and it was this huge thing but then the Missouri State Legislature kind of punitively imposed austerity measures and like cut uh, funding to the university and it's like suffered in there and, and like and in the ensuing years the the university has suffered and, and so have its like athletic programs yeah this is kind of the best Missouri has been really since then I think yeah, I mean, I think the, it's interesting to think of like the fallout of that. I think that kind of gets forgotten or misremembered or I don't know. Yeah, I think maybe just forgotten completely because that was a big deal at the time. And I think the the punitive measures taken against the school and against the athletic program, you know, get get overlooked. And I think the it's an example of sort of like the way like class war is waged in a, in a certain sense. You know, it's always important to sort of recognize the way that like... Uh, campuses and like especially college athletics has has become this site of political battle in so many ways and you know Missouri was kind of on the forefront of that and so I think it's important to uh you know root for their success even though uh you know time has passed and that has been I mean maybe even because so much time has passed and it has been forgotten you know it was easy to root for them in 2015-2016 when it was all on the news but you know you know so many years in when they're struggling with the you know, the austerity cuts, um, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit more difficult. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we can all root for Missouri. And then I think in, in that region, we also kind of like Creighton. And uh, we want Alabama to lose, but not too early. All right, let's jump to the Midwest now. That's where you've got... Um, 
the number one seed in that region. The number two overall seed is Houston. They are playing the North Kentucky Norse, I believe their nickname is, uh, in round one. And then the 8-9 matchup in that bracket is uh, Iowa and Auburn. I think this is a tricky one. I'm pulling for Houston. I think Houston's in a weird position this year because they uh people are really knocking them as not having played anybody or not you know they were like 31 and three one of those three losses was today when they're like one of their best players wasn't playing so and so i don't know what to make of this houston team but i'm really pulling for them and i think they're not quite getting the 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 respect they deserve uh also i mean we talked about this i think previous years like kelvin Sampson seems like a good guy he's also going through some stuff right now and he and it's like a very it's like a commuter school it's like a working class kind of public school in houston uh so so i like houston in this region um although i could you know i could see arguments for for maybe iowa what, what is your take here i i made an impassioned case for iowa last year and i still have a soft spot for them like, so they're coached by Fran McCaffrey, who is a crazy person. Um, <laughs> he did that thing where he called a timeout just to stare at a ref for 45 Oh, seconds. God. Yeah, we should talk about that a little bit. Like, well, can you, okay, can you tell us, can you talk a little bit? Well, can you just tell the story for anyone who might have missed that? Uh, well, so I was playing Michigan State. It was like a conference game. Um, it went into like a couple of times. Or it was like a really exciting game. But there was a, the, a call that McCaffrey disagreed with. So instead of like arguing it or getting like really uh, yelling a lot, which he, he frequently does, that, that is certainly in his toolbox. What he did this time is he just called a timeout. And instead of like huddling with his team or trying to regroup or, uh, you know, move on, he just stared directly <laughs> at the ref. Yeah, he like was staring like a death stare at him. Like, you know, like the stare, like, I don't know. I'm trying to even think of, you know, like something out of a horror movie. It was pretty, pretty. What did you think of like the, I feel like there was like a backlash to that. Like people were like, this is, this is like bad sportsmanship or, or people got really mad at him for that. I'm curious what was, what's your, I thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> But what was your perception of it? I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. so, it wasn't like attacking, you know, like it wasn't violent. It was just like, you know, it was like the kind of stare like your mom gives you when you do something wrong, you know? Yeah. It's like, I saw what you did, you know? You you made a big mistake and I'm mad at you. Yeah. Um. Well, but so we've established that Fran McCaffrey is insane, which brings me to what I wanted to talk about which is uh, he has two sons on his team and they're both like rotation guys. They're both uh, like, uh, like key players for Iowa. And um, one of them, Connor McCaffrey, or no, 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 it was Patrick McCaffrey. Connor's the other one who Patrick uh, was experiencing some mental health issues. And in January, like took some time off. And I appreciated that Fran and a lot of the Iowa players were outwardly pretty supportive of that. And then he like came back and he's kind of rejoined the team. And um, that has seemed to kind of like work for them, Um, which, uh, you know, I think we we, like uh, even for like those yellers and like these kind of like old school personalities in college basketball, you know, we we all want to be more mindful. We all want to be. Uh, a little more supportive of each other. And I, I think that should be celebrated. 
The other thing I like about Iowa is they refuse to play any semblance of defense. And uh, <laughs> uh, the Iowa-Auburn game might end in normal time with both teams in the 120s. So. <laughs> yeah, it should be, again, another one of these 8-9 games that should be really, really fun. Um yeah, both those teams are pretty likable, uh, but meeting Iowa and Houston, they're kind of the opposites in some ways. But uh, I, I want Houston to go far. I hope they make it to the Final Four. So they're, they're my pick out of this this quadrant. Going to the next quadrant here in the Midwest, we got our five-seed Miami playing 12-seed uh, Drake. Um, number four is Indiana playing 13-seed Kent State. So my impulse was to go with like Kent State just because like four dead in Ohio. Like I always just think of like Kent State as like the site of leftist protest. But I don't know. It's like a little it's like 50 years old at this point. Is that what is your take here? Yeah. If you're listening to this podcast on Spotify, Neil Young's mad at you. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, I shouldn't say that. The other thing is about Kent State is they have not won an NCAA tournament game uh, outside. I think the first I think they have a first four victory. But other than that, they have not won since their little mini Elite Eight run in 2002, which, like, that's over 20 years ago. That makes me feel very old that that Kent State team that made the Elite Eight is, like, two decades. Like, the players on that team are, like, in their mid-40s now. (laughs) Um uh, So I I like it when I think Kent State getting, you know, going going far would be kind of cool. Um, don't really know much about them. I can't say I know a single player on that team or watch a single second of them play basketball this year, but... Uh, don't have much else to say about this quadrant. Maybe we can talk a little about Mike Woodson in Indiana. You've watched a lot of Big Ten. I like my Miami, yeah. I like Jim Laranega. So there's there's some interesting interesting ways you go here. Yeah, I mean, I uh, and and we'll talk more about this when when Purdue comes up. Uh, but I am sort of surprised the extent to which the player of the year race seems like a settled question. Everybody seems like. You know, it seems like it's been settled for months. Yeah, like everybody's like, yeah, Zach Eady is the best player in college basketball. And that, uh, I, I, I don't understand that uh, conclusion. Where <laughs> um, Trace Jackson Davis did miss a couple of weeks, so I guess that hurts his candidacy. But his stats are pretty similar to Eady's, and uh, he does like more, he's just like a more versatile more well-rounded basketball player for a uh, team that needs him more. Here's Um, my hypothesis, which is that because college basketball has really faded and it's like national popularity in recent years. And also because guys don't stay around as long, the player of the year award has become more vibes based because like how many players like cross over like you know how many college basketball players in any season become like nationally famous it's like very few and so I think what happens is like the first guy to kind of break out in a year like it's hard to catch that momentum it's not like the Heisman race where like every week people are like throwing out names or like the NBA MVP race where like it's you know it's like all people are talking about it for, for stretches of the season it feels like what happens is a guy just kind of seizes that mantle in like january it seems like it's a little bit more common now and i kind of think that's what happened with Edie. where like i looked up one day and everyone's like oh yeah obviously Edie's gonna win the player of the year award and i was like okay whatever yeah i mean i so a couple counter examples come to mind and 
like I, I'm, I'm thinking about like Trey Young and Alonzo Ball, who I both I felt like both of those players deserved it those years, and neither of them won. Um, and I, I think like Frank Mason won over Alonzo, and I forget who won Trey Young's year, but but I think because of the dynamic you're uh, describing, there's a there's like a reflexive defensiveness um, among college basketball fans. So now it's I, I, and I feel like Edie, you know, it's like. Oh yeah, this like seven four guy who like can't stay in front of anybody on defense. Like he's actually really good. You guys just don't understand. Like you know, like everybody just wants to spread the ball out. You know, like the NBA does. But no, he's really good. Trust us. And it's like I, I don't know. Yeah, I should really look. I forgot. I used to be able to like. I used to remember. This is like maybe a symbolic of what we're discussing. But like I used to know all the Player of the Year winners like going back like twenty years. Now I can't remember like even who won it like two years ago. Um, but it's like, I should really like, look like refresh my memory to see if there's any kind of pattern. Cause my tendency is to say like, there's like two categories. There's like the, the sort of like young phenom guy, like Zion or Shibwe last year. Um, but, and then there's like the kind of like prototypical college guy, which I think is what Edie is where it's like, this guy's, you're never going to hear from this guy again. He's not, you know, like there's, you know, like. He's just a college star, but like we we we're so protective of our college game that we have to give him the award because we have to like really emphasize like what you just you know this like yeah seven foot four guy who doesn't have a lot of you know can't you know he, he'll ride a bench in the NBA for ten years and people are like oh that guy's still around you know like I think that's you know I think there's like th- that's the other kind of player who wins Player of the Year and I'm I maybe that's just a hypothesis I need to kind of confirm this by looking at all the winners but but I think the fact that like. Yeah, like you can't name who won it last year. I think that there there's something real like that. And I just think that I'm just like surprised and disappointed that like Trace Jackson Davis has just been kind of ignored when he's like really good. Like I think uh, this is a lofty comparison, but I think he's like the closest to Draymond Green since Draymond Green left college. Like, you know, he's like an undersized five who can guard pretty much anybody. Yeah. All right. Um, but uh, so I don't know. I, I, I hope Indiana does well. Um, it's fun when Indiana's good. I, I regret to say as a fan of a different Big Ten team. Um, all right. So we'll move on. Next pod. Uh, the six is Iowa State. The 11 is the winner of Mississippi State and Pitt. Um, then Xavier is the three playing Kennesaw State. Just the 14 seed there. Uh-huh. So did you know that Kennesaw State was a college? No, I didn't. <laughs> so I did not know either. And I looked it up. It became a college in 1963. It was founded in, uh, it's in Georgia. It's in two parts of Georgia. Uh, I think uh, Atlanta, parts are in Atlanta, and then part of it is in Marietta County. Is that not Atlanta, Marietta County? You know, I'm not, I'm not sure there. But it only became like a full university in 1996. It was like a, like a junior college or um uh, before that and only joined the division one in 2005 and this is their first year with a five with an above 500 record the basketball team since they joined division one so like they've really been a shitty team for 15 years basically and now they made the NCAA tournament so isn't that kind of cool yeah, yeah. We love <laughs> so, so i'm excited for them uh because i just looked them up you know an hour before we started recording this I like Xavier now that Sean Miller is back there. I feel like he belongs in Xavier and not in Arizona. I didn't like it when he was in Arizona. So, you know, happy he's back at Xavier. 
Um, I like Jeff Capel, obviously coaching Pitt. You know, you know, there's there's some stuff here. I don't really know if there's a leftist take. I'm gonna pull for Kansas State because I, I I like this sort of like new colleges kind of thing. We talked a little bit about our our episode on UMBC last year, but it really got in my head that this I, this we used to build new colleges, and even though there's like a surging demand for college, we don't really do that anymore except like these for-profit private colleges but like no we should be building more public universities uh in addition to funding the ones that we have and so i feel like kennesaw state like is like a real you know maybe if they win the tournament it will inspire more public universities that's that's my hope let's go to the next quadrant we got uh texas a&m is number seven playing penn state at 10 then we got Texas regular, not AM, number two is their two seed there. And they're playing Colgate, the toothpaste, uh, the 15 seed. I didn't realize the Texas and Texas AM were like, you know, right there. Uh that could be an interesting like second round matchup. Is it here's a question. Is it like anti Shaka Smart to root for Texas? Hmm. Um that is a question that I wasn't really thinking about because of all the drama that's happened there. Um yeah. at- in the wake of the Chris Beard firing. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, we, we already mentioned Mark Adams, who was Chris Beard's assistant at Texas Tech and took that job when Beard left for Texas, which was like only a year or two ago. And uh, this year, I think in Beard's second year at Texas, he was arrested for domestic violence. Those charges were later dropped, I believe. But... After he was arrested, he was suspended and then fired, right? He, he's no longer there at all. Um, and in spite of this, the team has, like, played great, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, throughout all this, like, turmoil. Um, and it would be kind of, like, I think like, I think Texas is the clear pick here. I'm always, like, biased towards, like, the big state schools. That's always, like, a, my instinct. And then you have this yeah. weird thing where, like, their coach has changed over and, like, they kind of didn't miss a beat and I think it'd be really cool. Also, you seem like you should really like that because that's like Steve Fisher, 89 sort of story. Uh, yeah. So yeah. like, you know, like, but the idea of a coaching changeover and the players succeeding in spite of that is a, is a very pro worker kind of story there. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm rooting for Texas here. Even I, That's why I was asking about the Shaka Smart thing because I was like, I don't want to be anti-Shaka Smart, but I feel like all the signs in this, in this quadrant point to Texas. Yeah, I mean... The Texas roster, there's like enough continuity there. Though, like if they make the final four or like make you know, uh, like make the championship game or something, like um, I think, you know, it will be seen as like Rodney Terry making the leap. It won't be necessarily see seen as like Chris Beard's team, mm-hmm. uh, like yeah. finally putting it together. Uh, which I think is good. And I mean, I think Chris Beard was like justifiably fired. And I mean, I like it. Everybody seems to like Rodney Terry. I mean, two years ago, everybody seemed to like Mark Adams. So we can't really trust yeah, that. Yeah. I believe uh, last podcast, I, I think the last year we did this podcast, I did a whole thing defending Mark Adams, which is not age well. Don't go back yeah. and listen to that. Um, I mean, you know, the, maybe that says something about like, the the role of the media actually. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no i mean beard the, the the speed with which beard went from like some random guy to like the next big thing in coaching to like immediately fired was like pretty dramatic like 
I didn't even know who this guy was like five years ago. And in that whole time, he like made a final four, got one of the biggest jobs in the get in sports and then like crashed and burned. Uh, and then was being rehabilitated and was yeah. like interviewing people, for more jobs. Now people are, like, he's going to get hired again. Yeah. I mean, uh, which is a real shame. I mean, uh, hopefully that doesn't happen. I mean, and I think like, you know, if, if, if like Rodney Terry can succeed and uh, like, I, I think that would show that like, you don't need Chris Beard and, I mean, Mark Adams was considered the the kind of architect of Chris Beard's like defense that worked so well. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I think there was evidence that that. I mean, look, I think this happens a lot where you have guys who are good coaches, but probably are not like on a strategic level, but are probably not the kind of guys you want teaching like eighteen to twenty two year olds like how to behave. Um, and I think Beard and Adams both seem like probably not, you know not the best hires for those reasons, but I think they're both good basketball people. So yeah. We should root for Texas and we should root for Penn state to beat Texas A&M. So hopefully whatever program that uh, might have considered Chris Beard will hire Micah Shrewsbury, who's good. And, you know, like a young black coach who's, who's gotten Penn state as far as they've basically like ever gone before. It is like so. the Penn state's like first tournament in like 10 years or something. Right. Like it's, it's, yeah, while, I think yeah. like I I think this is like their second time winning more than twenty games. Yeah, I always forget how bad they are at basketball. All right, let's go to our next region. Is the West? Um, we got the number one seed here is Kansas. Uh, they're playing Howard University. Honestly, did not know they were a Division One school. To be totally fair, this was shocked when they threw that name out on the on the on the line. Uh, and then the eight nine is Arkansas versus Illinois, which is another that should be a really cool game. All, all these eight nine games, I gotta say, it seems like a good year for eight nine games. Um, I think, I mean, it's tricky because you don't want to root against Howard University and making one of their first tournament appearances. But I feel like Kansas. We can talk now about the this is a, this is a heavy coaching region because we got a lot a lot of coaching topics here. But you know, now that you know. And, and I'm going to write, I already wrote something about this on the, on the Substack once, and I'm probably going to write another piece. But now that like Coach Gay, Roy Williams, uh, Jim Beheim, uh Mike Bray, although I think Mike Bray is going to stick around and he's going to get another job. Uh, who else? Tubby Smith. I mean, like there's all these, these sort of like old school coaches who have been around for years who have retired in the last year. Even John Beeline, who retired in, or left for the NBA like not that long ago. Um, they're all gone, and like Bill Self is still hanging around, still winning Big Twelve regular seasons in the, in Kansas. You know, like just putting up, you know, whatever it is, is fifteen and five conference records, getting his number one seed. He won that just won a national championship last year, and like, you know, he just real workman like performance. Just every year, same thing with these Kansas. Like they've never had a down year, and I can remember at least since they hired Self and. Uh, it's pretty, pretty remarkable. And, you know, at a certain point, you got to start talking about him as like the greatest coach ever, or in that conversation, at least. And I don't know why he doesn't quite get there. But uh, I agree. I think it, it, like he's like sort of slighted in that way. He doesn't quite get the stature of, uh, you know, the Coach K's and the um, John Calipari's you know, I think there's like a, a, a crop of guys ahead of him. But um, I I think the funniest possible outcome would be if like Arkansas made another 
Elite Eight and made a third straight Elite Eight. That would be funny. Uh, they're a fun team. Every year they're a they fun team, fun I team. think, yeah. Although I think we've talked about in recent years, like it's hard to root for Arkansas because of the the relationship with Nolan Richardson. He's He like has accused them of being racist and stuff. And anyway, let's move on to the next four because I think we got a, a, lot, of, a lot of heavy hitting coaches, as I said, in this bracket or in this one. We have um, St. Mary's is the five seed playing VCU, the 12 seed. That's, I mean, I think that was another one of Seth Davis's upset picks, if I'm remembering correctly. And then UConn and Iona, that's the four versus the 13. The big heavy hitting coach here is Rick Pitino because he's in this very awkward position where he is being very openly coveted for two coaching jobs by both St. John's and Georgetown while he is currently coaching in the tournament. (laughs) And he is very openly flirting with both of these jobs. And it is like, Part of me thinks he wants... I think he might just intentionally lose in the first round so he can take one of these jobs. What is he going to do? Like drag this thing out for three weeks while he has the coach's dumb Iona team? It is very funny to watch that. Um, what is your preferred outcome for Rick Pitino in the next year? I mean, I think he should, I think he should go to St. John's. I think that is the coolest outcome because St. John's has not really been good since... Jesus, one of you know, the 90s. Uh, I guess they had a couple of good years there under like Steve Lavin. But even then they were just like a tournament. Yeah, like, like by good, they like made the tournament. Um, and they haven't really like made a deep run in forever. And I think Patino could really work. And like having Patino in New York City, I mean, he would be such a fun figure there. Like I think he could really like thrive in that job and a job that has sort of like, you know, eaten up a lot of other coaches. And, uh, you know, if he goes to Georgetown or one of these other jobs, it's a little bit like, you know, it it's fine. But I think like having him like try to rehabilitate St. John's in this city where he was, you know, he coached the Knicks, where he I believe he's from New York City. He's like, you know, he's got this like Italian guy persona and this accent and this like relationship with the media and to have him sort of like rehabilitate one of these like long dormant programs um in the big east would be would be a pretty pretty cool way to sort of end his career yeah what is, what about you where do you want what is your what is your desired outcome i think the the case for st john's is like too compelling it's uh, it's just like it's too, just too good a story like if he were yeah, to end yeah. at st john's um, um i should say i i do not like rick patino i do not want him to do well i think he is one of the the most anti-player coaches in college sports. He's like in a similar vein to like Jim Beheim is a guy who like routinely throws players under the bus, but uh, you know, and he also got in trouble with the, the, the FBI investigation. He has a sex scandal in his past. Uh, he's, he's a, he's a shady character. So I, I'm not an, like, I don't love Rick Pitino, but I think if he's going to keep playing, you know, keep coaching, St. John's is a good place for him to, to go. Yeah. I mean, what I will say about uh, like Rick Pitino is he seems like somebody who genuinely loves college basketball. Uh, whereas like Jim Beheim and Roy Williams and even like John Calipari, like there are a lot of these guys who seem to just like complain about the sport a lot more in recent years and like, you know, talk about how it's kind of like trending in the wrong direction or like new developments are bad for the game. Or like Rick Pitino 
He's like, yeah, send me to New Rochelle, New York. I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. coach whatever team you got. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, he just, just wants to get in the game, man. Um, so I appreciate that. Uh, in this region, I want to shout out to VCU, uh, the only team that was like that has ever had to forfeit an NCAA an NCAA tournament game. Uh, in 2021, they kind of had to, or they had to forfeit because of positive COVID tests. Um, yeah, like, and I, I think they're kind of a, an unlucky program. I think that they have gotten some bad draws in the tournament for whatever reason. Um, also like all of their coaches keep leaving. (laughs) Um, Mike Rhodes is, uh, like, he's been there six years and he's like tied for the longest tenured person there in the last 30, uh, you know, but they had Jeff Capel and Anthony Grant and Shaka smart, uh, and then will Wade and they all left for bigger jobs. I like the quick. Yeah. It's like a starter program. It's like, uh, it's like where coaches go to get to build their brand and then they leave. Um, yeah, I like, uh, I, I like VCU. I, I think maybe they're the pull from this region because, almost by process of elimination, uh, not this region, this, this quadrant. Um, and I like, yeah, I think they're, they'll be an interesting team. I mean, they, they played really well in the Atlantic 10 tournament, which is the only thing I really, really watched of theirs. Um, all right, let's go to the next batch where we've got uh, TCU is the six seed, um, which uh, Clark Kellogg referred to as the frog horns. They're, they're the horned <laughs> frogs. Um, and they will play the winner of the play-in game. Uh, I just like the idea that you would nickname yourself just the horns on the frogs, not the rest of the frog. We are the frog <laughs> horns. <laughs> um, and uh, Arizona State and Nevada play in the playing game, and the winner of that will play, play DCU. And then the three fourteen matchup is Gonzaga. Real down year for Gonzaga after a string of like one seeds that they got. And they're playing Grand Canyon. It's always weird that there's a university of the Grand Canyon. Like what? Like what? You know, like is it Isn't in the Grand Canyon? university i don't even it's yeah i think it's i don't it's not a public university i don't know if it's a for-profit college or just a private university it does sound made up it's like the kind of school like a like an like a high school athlete in friday night lights would would apply to you know like they they would be like recruiting like matt saracen or something like that it is indeed a for-profit school yeah so you can't root for them this is a weird bracket here's what i was gonna ask you i want to go with arizona state but as the leftist pick what is the Starbucks union's position on the whole Starbucks employees getting a free college thing at Arizona State? Because, like, is that... I love this take. Yeah, like, what is... Because, like, is that, like, just, you know, a way of, like, recruiting people or, like, not, you know, not giving them better working conditions or, like, you know, like, try to, is it, is it like, a union-busting tactic to, like, give them this, like, thing that is kind of useless? Or is it actually a good thing that it's like giving these people an opportunity at like a reduced tuition school? I don't I don't know what the union's position actually is on this. Obviously, the, the program was like announced like, like 10 years ago, or at this point under, it was like a whole Howard Schultz CEO ago, like he stepped down and then came back since then, I believe. And I believe it's still an operating program at Arizona State, like I believe they still have Starbucks students. Um, but I'm curious, like, what the unionization effort that has now kind of gotten kind of sweeping the nation, I wonder, like, what their position on this is. So I want to root for Arizona State, but I've, if if the union is not supportive, I will obviously change my mind. Yeah, 
Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, <laughs> I I like the the question though. It's a, yeah, uh, we we got to do more research on that. Um, I have a question for you, John. Uh, Bobby Hurley is the coach of Arizona State. Uh, can you remember or guess what year he was hired in? I feel like I looked this up because didn't here's I'm trying to. Did it okay? Hurley goes from he start his it's his first job at Rhode Island, right? Then he goes to Buffalo. You're thinking of his brother Dan Hurley was at Rhode Island and then went to UConn. Bobby Hurley, but didn't uh, no? Didn't they work together at Rhode Island? Or no? Bobby Hurley worked at Delaware or someplace like that, right? Dan Hurley, I think he was at like Wagner, then Rhode Island, then UConn. Yeah, Bobby no, but Hurley. I think Bobby Hurley was at bu- his Buffalo. first head coaching job was Buffalo. Buffalo, yeah. He- Okay, I think he worked as Dan Hurley's like assistant at Wagner or something, and then he got this yeah. job at Buffalo. And then I think he, because that's where he hired Nate Oates, who's now Alabama's coach. I think he, and then when he left, Oates got the Buffalo job. So I think that's why I should know this, but I that doesn't mean I actually do know. That. Is it was it 2016? 2015. 2015. Bobby Hurley has somehow been coaching Arizona State for eight years. <laughs> I know, and they have not been good. Everybody thought that was such a big hire at the time, right? And he hasn't really done anything. Yeah, no, they've been mostly bad. And, like, players keep transferring out of there, which I... I, I That's like, alarming. Yeah, like, I don't know. I I feel weird, like, even at this point, at this stage of college basketball, even, like, holding that against coaches. But, um, like, yeah, like, Remy Martin was, like, their best player for a while. Then he transferred to Kansas and won a national championship there. And, like, they keep losing guys. Yeah, like I think uh, like that was Patrick Ewing's problem at Georgetown with roster management. And I think maybe Bobby Hurley has like some of that going on, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, I it's kind of a bummer that this has been so kind of meh, his tenure there. But I, I, I don't believe they've won a tournament game in his tenure. Maybe this will be the end. I don't know. So, I mean, I think... Gonzaga or TCU is probably the pick here. Uh, I think uh, Gonzaga. They're both so religious. Yeah, I think. Opium well, of the, opiate of the masses and all that. You know, I don't think you can really. I So I'm, I'm looking ahead in the bracket and I'm seeing who the two seed in this region here. And I am reminded that we want Gonzaga to make it out so that we can get. <laughs> yeah, as a basketball fan, maybe. But we're, we remember we have to try. We have to stick out with our allegiances to to like international leftism first and foremost. Yeah, let's get to the next one. We can we can talk about what what we're looking forward to because the bottom part of this region or this uh, yeah this region has Northwestern. They are the seven seed playing Boise State, the ten, and then the number two seed is UCLA playing UNC Asheville, the fifteen seed. So UCLA tends to play great games against Gonzaga. And if they were to make it to the Sweet 16, you know, if, if if Chalk were to hold in this region, you'd have a Gonzaga-UCLA Sweet 16 matchup, which would presumably be pretty exciting. I'm picking UCLA in this, um, both for that reason, but also because I feel like UCLA has gotten like, like Purdue is the fourth number one seed, which we're going to get to in a second. I feel like UCLA is better than Purdue. I don't understand why like everybody just automatically was like Purdue's getting in there. And I don't know. I think UCLA has a real good shot at like making the final four this year. I think they're an exciting team. Um, We can talk about Mick Cronin in a second, but uh, you know, I I think, I think UCLA is the clear pick here. I think they're good enough to win a championship. 
Yeah, certainly. I mean, and I don't think Purdue is. So. Yeah, I mean, I think like if you if you ask me to like pick a pick the final four or not pick the final four based on the brackets, like who do I think is the four best teams? I probably would have gone something like Kansas, Alabama, Houston, UCLA, uh, and leaving Purdue out, even though they were the fourth one seed. Um, and I think that has been the top tier most of the season. Um, plus, you know, I believe the only public school in this bunch, or I guess UNC Asheville is a public school. But let's talk about Mick Cronin, because I feel like, you know, when they hired him back in 2019, uh, he was like their 25th choice. Like they were trying yeah, to get... they called everyone in they, Yeah, they went, they were trying to get Calipari. I think there were rumors that they were after Brad Stevens. They were like... Were Jamie Dixon rumors. Yeah, Jamie Dixon. Everyone. everyone they were trying to go, you know, trying to like dig up the corpse of John Wooden. Like they were doing everything they could to not hire Mick Cronin. And then finally he was the only one who took the job. And then there's something funny about Mick Cronin. Like Mick Cronin has the like least... LA vibe of like maybe anybody I've ever seen like that guy just like looks like he he's the head coach at Cincinnati it's like he, he gives off that vibe as he's the head coach at Cincinnati he, like he belonged there uh and instead he took the, I mean he was at Cincinnati for like 15 years or something and he left for UCLA they did not want him and he's been great he took them to the final four in 2021 I think last year was viewed as sort of a letdown but they made the sweet 16 and this year, they're like one of the best teams in the country. And I think it's like, you don't always need the splashy hire. You know, you just need the guy who like gets things done. And yeah, sometimes you need a Rodney Terry to step in and steal the shit. So I don't know. I think there's a lot to, lot to like about UCLA. Plus, if, if they do match up against Gonzaga, you know, this will be the third, you know, or the fourth, however if many. If UCLA and Gonzaga play in the tournament, cancel all your plans. Like, make yeah, sure. It's, that those, yeah. those games are, are remarkable. All right, we got one last region to cover, the East region, where the number one seed is the aforementioned Purdue. They will be playing the 16 seed, which is the winner of the final play-in game, which is Farley Dickinson and Texas Southern. So one of those two teams will play Purdue. Then the 8-9 is Memphis and Florida Atlantic. I think I like Memphis because of Penny Hardaway here. It's most I just don't feel strongly about any of these teams. What are your What are your thoughts here? Uh, well, Texas Southern is coached by Johnny Jones, uh, who was the former coach at LSU, immediately preceding uh, Lefty Specialist Hall of Fame member Will Wade, who just got hired at McNeese State. Yeah, maybe. baby, Will Wade getting back, back in the court. game. Yeah, um, yeah. I I love that he got another job. I I love that he'll he's sticking around. I can't wait to watch him in an NCAA tournament soon. Yeah, so I I mean we we both like Penny Hardaway. Um, at this point, he's been the coach at Memphis for five years, and uh, you know he's like they they seem to be making progress with that program. They seem to really be. They love to get into these eight nine games. Isn't Memphis like always an eight or a nine seed now? Like it feels like that's just con. They're all constantly playing eight nine games. It is pretty weird. Um, what I don't, what I'm scared of is, I if they win a game if they upset Purdue which I think they're certainly capable of um I 
worry that people will take the lesson that like like one and done guys they're flashy they bring attention to your program but like if you really want to win in college basketball you got to like settle in and win with veterans i think that's like a harmful idea for players um and kind of like limits uh like star power and player agency within the sport um and that's like you know i i think like because like James Wiseman and uh, Imani Bates didn't really work out at Memphis. Uh, like that might be a logical connection. I was, I was hearing Wally Zerbiak say that today on TV. I don't know. Um, I'm I mean, a little, I, I'm not as, re- I'm somewhat resistant to that. I think, first of all, I think it's tricky because that's already a pretty dominant narrative that like you can't, you know, like one and done guys are not the way to, especially for like mid-major, I guess Memphis not really a mid-major, but I guess isn't, aren't they in like Conference USA or whatever? Like that, I think, you know, not top tier teams like Memphis, that is definitely the knock. Like you, you shouldn't be going after these, like the way to build those programs is through four-year players. But more importantly, I think we're kind of like, I mean, we talked about this last year, again, in, in another Mark Stories episode is like, we're kind of nearing the end of like the one and done era. You know, like obviously there still exists these one and done players, but like with the the G League and with, you know, NIL and with the transfer portal, there's been a lot of these trends that seem to pull away at this idea of one and done players dominating. And I think like the idea that you don't have to go after these like top tier talents to be a competitive team is probably a more egalitarian, more democratic, more like pro upset kind of way of the, of basketball existing. If it's just, you know, Kentucky and Duke every year getting the big, recruits and then being the number one or number two overall team you know what does that say to a school like memphis whereas like yeah i mean i I get your point about the amani bates and the wiseman story like you don't like these stories of like because often those come as like those guys didn't they couldn't hack it like they they couldn't make it here like we want guys who are team focused and like that kind of bullshit but i do think like you want to give people want to give teams room to grow and the idea that, like, look, you guys might be struggling now, but if you guys stick around, you guys can grow and get better. That is a, a good thing for for both players, workers, and workers in general. I just, you know, I think you want to be resistant to the idea that you have to kind of dismiss the one-and-done players. Yeah, I mean, ultimately what it comes down to is I think, like, like it or not, the stigma is, is sticky. You know, they can make the elite eight, or and I, I think they'll get a touch of this. They could bow out in the first round, and I think like people draw the same conclusions. Right, right, right. Um, right. But I do think that like you know, I'm I'm wary of anything that plays into the notion that like a team led by freshmen is somehow like underdeveloped or like you know, uh, not as kind of finished as it could be mostly my motivation in this region is to root against Purdue. I've spoken on this podcast before about how I think Matt Painter uh, commits coaching malpractice on a regular basis. The man loves to post up a center and then give up on running an offense. Um, He does this every year with every team he has, you know, before Zach Eady, it was Isaac Haas. Before that, it was AJ Hammonds. You know, Juwan Johnson, you know, he always has a five and he wants to post them up all game. And what's interesting about it is most of the time, that's what your defense wants too, is like Purdue's trying to get the ball into the post and you kind of want them to do that because then they become like one dimensional and, you know, like post up offense isn't that efficient. 
yeah, I mean, there's a reason like they lose to St. Peter's. There's a reason they like Matt Painter has never made a final four. Uh, I just think, you know, and I think like we saw it in the big 10 championship, like they tried their fucking hardest to blow that game to Penn state, which is not a very good team. Um, they have like a freshman backcourt who they seem to not really trust. And I, I'm a Zach Eady hater. Um, if that is not apparent at this point, I just don't really I, like, it's, it's just like a very one dimensional, boring way to play basketball and it doesn't really work far into the tournament. So hopefully uh, Memphis or FAU beats them uh, pretty early. All right. Uh, next uh, next quadrant, we got Duke, my team, playing Oral Roberts, the 12 seed. Duke is a 5 seed this year. Uh, and then the 4 seed is Tennessee, and they will play the 13 seed Louisiana. Not LSU, just like University of Louisiana. Duke, the clear good guys playing Oral Roberts, you know, finally, we got, we got a matchup where, you know, it's really hard to hate, like, Duke more than Oral Roberts, like, you know, right wing Christian fundamentalist school. And then Tennessee versus Louisiana. Don't really have strong feelings about that. Obviously, I'm picking Duke here. Here's my socialist rationalization. It's you want the program to succeed post coach K because you want the players to get the credit. And so if coach, like they made it all the way to the final four last year, they have to do even better than that to prove that it's the players. It's Jeremy Roach. Uh, it's Kyle Filipowski. It's those guys. Uh, plus they, they're peaking late. You know, that's, a, that's a fun thing, especially with these young, you know, you were just talking about these one and done guys. You don't like, you know, to, to limit their potential. And I think, the, the hype around Derek Lively initially in the season was like, oh, he's a bust, but he's really come around, really embraced a like, you know, defense first focus, you know, you know, approach. It's why they're on this nine game winning streak. Clearly Duke's the pick here. That's that's my story and I'm sticking to it. I mean, uh, I I also just think Duke is like wildly underseeded. I like five, like they won the ACC tournament pretty easily. Like they're. I wouldn't say like they won pretty easily. I mean, they. You know, I played a close game against Miami, pretty close game. I mean, I guess they beat Virginia by 10, which or against Virginia, that's like winning against a normal team by like 150. Uh, and so, <laughs> but uh, I think like, you know, they, they look, they've been playing great recently. I think, and I think, so there's two points. I don't think they're criminally underseeded. I think they're a little bit under, I thought they would get a four seed. The But then once they started like, once the other once I saw how the other ACC teams were seeded, I knew that Duke was not going to get a four seed. Like, you know, I knew that, like, they weren't going to get a higher seed than Miami. They weren't going to be seeded the same as Virginia. They had a lot of bad losses. You know, they 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 were struggling for a good stretch of the season. And for a lot of the season, it looked like they would be an eight or a nine seed. Um, and they t- kind of turned it around, had a, la- a great last month of this season. And I think five is fair. I think the argument against it is that they're on is that the committee is underrating the ACC but I don't really buy that I think the ACC just kind of sucks this year and has sucked kind of for a while honestly we've had a lot of down years for the ACC recently poor Rick Barnes uh there are uh Tennessee was good this year um had like a solid veteran team primed for a run but uh their point guard got injured and so that seems much less likely now. 
Yeah, this is another uh, trendy upset pick, Louisiana over Tennessee. Tennessee is missing Ziegler. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the this path sets up pretty well for Duke. Um, Max Admus, that guy, Amos, he's got like a weird pronunciation, yeah, yeah, but yeah, uh, like he's still the Oral Roberts point guard, so maybe he'll, uh, you know, like the fire again, but hopefully, I, I mean, I think it would be kind of cool to see like a, a Duke run. Um, Obviously I agree. Um, This is certainly, this is certainly not a, not a tough, not a super tough draw. This is a, this is a pretty weak region. Knock on wood. Weakest one seed. Yeah. Weakest one seed. They've got an injured four seed. Um, Arguably the weakest two. Yeah. All right, let's let's get to there. We only got two more quadrants left here. We got number six, Kentucky, playing number one or number eleven, Providence, uh, and then number three, Kansas State, playing number fourteen, Montana State. Got to quibble with the committee, putting two Wildcats in the same quadrant. You got to keep your your Wildcats on all the regions so that we can really preserve the hope of an my dream. An all Wildcat Final Four. I mean, we didn't have much of a chance this year because Villanova wasn't good. But like, you got to get Kentucky, Kansas State, Villanova, and Arizona one year. Get them all in the Final Four. Jay Wright had to retire one of the best during one of the best seasons for Kansas State. Yeah, come on, come on. In this region or in this quadrant, excuse me, I think Kentucky is the the pick here. I think it's cool that Shibwe came back. I don't I know it's frustrating that he took such a step back, but I think it's like a cooler story if like they do well. You know, like he has this great individual season that ends with them losing to St. Peter's. And then he has sort of a frustrating individual season that goes like that pairs with like an actual deep run. And I think that might speak to like him developing, you know, as a player and a person and whatever. I also think like Kentucky gets a lot of shit. I've kind of warmed up to Calipari in recent years. So I kind of think Kentucky is who I'm pulling for in this, this little section of the bracket. What about you? Yeah. You know, and um, yeah, I I think Shibwe is personally endearing and, um, you know, has spoken about like his experience immigrating to the U S in a way that I think is cool. Um, And like some of the, the family struggles that they've gone in. Like, I think he had like visa problems yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I want to see him do well. Um, I, I mean, the only other sort of thing is like uh, for Providence, you know, any coach in college basketball should try to get Ed Cooley's agent. It's my advice. <laughs> the man is not a very good coach, but every year is linked to like whatever the biggest opening is. Um, but he never gets it right. He's been, he's been at Providence now for like a long time. Yeah. And I feel like uh, every year people people talk themselves into Providence. You know, I feel like every year they're, they're like a trendy upset pick and they don't really have a very good track record of success in the tournament since he's been there. Well, it's tough with these like defense first teams. Yeah. It's like they don't really have enough firepower to, to like. Yeah, know, it's harder to. Yeah. Harder to stop these bigger. And run. You know. Yeah. Which brings us to the last region. Region. The scariest region for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, it, it, here we've got Michigan State as the seven versus USC as the ten, and then Marquette versus Vermont as the two versus fifteen matchup. I gotta say, 
I've seen this movie before and comes out well for Tom Izzo. Yeah. It does seem like they're probably, I mean, look, Marquette could be good. You know, uh, I think they're a sneaky good team. They are good. Yeah. uh, Like Tom Izzo knows how to pull shit out of his ass. And like, they're not like, it would be scary if I were Marquette and I'm a two seed and I think I've got a really good team this year getting stuck with Michigan state as the seven, that would be scary. That's that would, I would be very worried about that. Um, not that I think Marquette's going to lose, but I think that that would be, that's like the worst possible seven seed to face, um, in a year like this. Um, assuming they beat USC, maybe USC will beat, beat Izzo, hopefully. Uh, I think the leftist case is clear here. It is obviously yeah. the university of Vermont because, <laughs> because first of all, Bernie Sanders is the Senator from Vermont. He was the mayor of Burlington, which is where the university of Vermont is. And Vermont has like this. This weird, like, mini America East dynasty brewing, which I don't know if any if, if the world is aware of, but they've won that conference regular season like seven straight years. They won the conference tournament, I think this is the third year in a row, and they've got no tournament wins to show for it. They have not had any postseason success to like mirror, they have not won a, a NCAA tournament game since the TJ Sorrentine shot in 2005. Was that when that was? Um, and that's crazy. They deserve it. They're like putting on all this work, building this little, this like, these catamounts, just doing doing the best they can. So you got to pull for them, even though Marquette is cool. Uh, uh, where 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 are you going on this one? I I thought we were aligned on Shaka Smart um, and Marquette. I like Shaka Smart. I want him to do well, but you know, we remember we're not about coaches on this podcast. We're about players and public school students but you know like milwaukee is pretty black city and uh i think like you know it's if like can't even in milwaukee isn't it like in some suburb but i don't it's like the st john <laughs> situation where they play in milwaukee so <laughs> uh-huh. yeah look uh, i think i like i mean i think I, I think marquette in addition to shaka smart is also a very likable team this year i think they're kind of getting better get it you know like they seem to be you know i think they're like 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 when i was ranking the the sort of top tier of the like four one seeds kind of minus purdue plus ucla you know marquette and texas are kind of like right there you know and like i don't you know i, I don't know how I, I haven't watched enough of either of them this year to really know if they're that good but i could see i could see both those teams making a sneaky run and i do like shaka smart is this you know i like him having the success at marquette um so, yeah, but, you know, I just can't, can't get over my Vermont connection. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, you know, we've said before, vibes are leftist. You know, Shaka Smart is a good, <laughs> the, 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 you know, the feeling wasn't there in Texas. He, like, he didn't get, I don't know if it was like, the backing of the university or like, you know, it just wasn't the right fit. Like, you know, with the Texas culture or some, something ephemeral like that, but it just never really came together for him there. And then, you know, he came back to home to where he's from in Milwaukee and, or, or near Milwaukee, as you say. <laughs> they might be, I don't know for a fact where, where Marquette is. I didn't mean to defame it. Um, and, you know, it, he, like they're, in meshing well at the right time and uh you know it's it's sort of like a more uh 
it, it, it feels it's got like the the VCU flavor of a Shaka Smart team, which I I like, and you know they've they've got some interesting athletic guards, and uh, you know hopefully like it, I think it would be cool to see them do do really well. Yeah, I mean I I, I would not be displeased by a, by a Marquette run, nor would it particularly surprise me. Um, all right, we have gone through the whole bracket. Uh, do you want to make like a final four prediction or should we, should we hold off on that until we, until we have a sense or, uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts on, uh, you know, the general vibes as we, as we head out, you know, closing, closing this out? I mean, I think a final four that we can root for, uh, I think maybe Arizona, Texas or Houston, really either of those teams, UCLA and Duke. I think would be what I would pull for. I like it. Um, I'm supportive of that. I I mean, as long as Duke is in the, in the conversation, uh, although I don't know if many people would agree with us on that one, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think certainly think the others are, 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 are compelling. Alabama and Kansas are very good teams that very well might make the final four. um, But I think, uh, yeah, do not serve our, yeah. For reasons we've talked about, I think both of those would be a little, anticlimactic i mean i think if we wanted to be objective maybe people would say marquette over duke that would be the only change i might say to that but obviously i will be pulling for duke and who are you going to be pulling for as now that michigan has not made it uh yeah i just want everyone to have a good time yeah i just want everyone to have a good time um i maybe i'll maybe ucla will be my team this year i like it yeah, get on the Mick Cronin bandwagon. Uh, all right, we've, we've been at this for a while. Uh, hopefully everybody will uh, know who to root for once the tournament starts. Thank you for listening. Bye, go Bruins. <laughs> <laughs>